0: You are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love.
1: Luke 19, 1-10 Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short, so he could not see over the crowd. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Ephesians 2, 4-9 But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages he might show that the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast.
0: Well, this past week, I had one of those days that just doesn't quite go as planned as you imagine it. I know you've all had those. Esther and I had carpooled down to a ministry event in Minneapolis with a handful of friends here from church. And it was a dinner event. There was a program involved. But before we ever got to the program, before we ever got to dessert, my wife grabs my arm and she's got the phone in the other hand and she says, I need to talk to you. It's one of the kids. Now, for the sake of my kids, I'm not going to share the details of what happened that night, but it was our babysitter who was on the phone. And she said, we needed to get home ASAP. Well, we were 35 minutes from home. We were in Minneapolis, kind of on the west side. And it was the middle of this event. And we didn't have our own car. We'd carpooled. So Esther went in to talk to one of the ladies to just kind of explain what was going on and that we were going to order an Uber And get home. And the next thing I know, this friend and her husband are out in the hallway with us, and he's dropping his keys into my hand, and he says, Go, take our car. That was grace. The Lord maybe knew I needed a sermon illustration for this Sunday, but I think probably much more so, he knew that I needed grace. And I needed someone to remind me of how he operates and who he is. And our friends showed us that. We're in our summer message series on the attributes of God. And we've been asking all summer long this question, what is God like? And we've been looking at a different attribute or characteristic of who God is every single week. Looking at different Bible passages. God gave us this book so that we could know what he's like. And last week our brother Lane Kroos did such an awesome job bringing us into the topic of God's mercy. And the scripture we looked at last week with Lane was the parable of the prodigal son. Though many people suggest a more fitting title would probably be the parable of the merciful father. And so we're so thankful to Lane for leading us into that theme. This week our topic is God's grace. And you could almost think that grace is synonymous with mercy. In fact, they're so closely related that they're both part of the makeup of love. One of the books I was reading this week in preparation for today said that love has four dimensions, four basic components, and they are God's kindness, His grace, His mercy, and His persistence. Those are the four aspects of love, and we'll come back to those next week, more on that next week because our attribute next week is love. But for this week, it's grace, and I wrestled with this question, what would you say is the difference between mercy and grace? One idea, I suppose, could be that mercy is what you say when your uncle has you in a headlock at a family get-together, and grace is what you say before you all have dinner. And sure, that would work. But how about for today, this idea. Grace, as Katie shared with the kids, is when you get something that you don't deserve. Zacchaeus, as we'll see in just a moment, got to have Jesus come over to his house. Mercy, on the other hand, is when you don't get something you do deserve. The prodigal son, he deserved punishment. Just ask the older brother. But the Father gave him mercy. Now before we turn to Scripture, let's fill out this working definition a little bit more. What is grace? And here's something I came up with. You might change some of the wording or do your own. But I thought, let's define it this way. Grace is God's undeserved love and acceptance. Demonstrated most of all in the gift of his son who died in the place of sinners. But here's the thing about definitions. I was reading an old book this week. When I say old, I suppose it's from the 1990s. An old book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And our message title this week is a nod to that book. And in it, Philip Yancey says, I would far rather convey grace than explain it. And I think that's perhaps why the word grace itself is relatively rare to find in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because there it is not explained, it's conveyed everywhere. And that's what brought me to Luke 19 and the story of Zacchaeus. To convey grace, Luke gives us this real account of this encounter between Jesus and a tax collector. And as you might remember, tax collectors in the Bible were considered as crooks. They were Jewish citizens who had sold out to the occupying Roman force... And they were taking in tax money on their behalf. And the Romans, they liked to tax their foreign subjects as much as they could get. And then the tax collectors were those local residents who were their operatives. And above and beyond the tax revenue, which was already exorbitant, the tax collectors would add on whatever their own service fees would be. Thus extorting their own people. And I want you to imagine a Ukrainian working for the Russian government, pilfering money from his own people in the Donbass region. Something like that. It's Absolutely absurd. So Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He is described as a chief tax collector. He is the boss of the whole regional system. And it says in Luke 19 that he was wealthy. But for some reason, he wanted to see Jesus. So as Jesus is paraded into town, he's quite famous by this point in the gospel, Zacchaeus runs ahead to climb a sycamore fig tree because he was short. We have a few short people jokes in our family that my twin daughters have introduced us to. And maybe you guys do as well. Zacchaeus was short and he owned it. And so he raced ahead to a sycamore tree so he could see. It was all well and good, but then the unthinkable happens in the story. And that is Jesus, the Jewish miracle worker, the champion of the poor. Some even said the Messiah. It says in verse 5, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, "Zacchaeus." Notice he calls him by name doesn't call him a name like everybody else. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now let's just pause there for a moment to ask this question. Does Zacchaeus really deserve to have Jesus come over to his house? Don't be so nice, right? I mean, the answer is no. Zacchaeus doesn't deserve a thing except to be hung out to dry, But Jesus shows him grace. So we get to verse 6. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And then what does Zacchaeus do? That day, at his house, having received such grace, Zacchaeus, now like Jesus, is going to do the unthinkable. He gives away his wealth. People a lot smarter than me who do the math on what this would have looked like say that Zacchaeus... Impoverished himself that day. He says, "Lord, half of what I own, I'm giving to the poor." And as a little side note, if you were observant Jewish household, it was considered extremely generous in that day if you gave away a fifth of your income twenty percent. Zacchaeus, the crook, gives away fifty. And then he says, on top of that, if I've cheated anybody and Oh, by the way, he had plenty of people. He'd repay four times what he had stolen. Another side note, the actual penalty for extortion in their culture at that time was 20%. Zacchaeus goes way beyond that. And so Jesus finishes the passage by saying in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Don't miss this. That Zacchaeus, the least Jewish guy in town, the most unworthy, is given a name that is one of the highest compliments you could receive. He is a son of Abraham. And what has played out that day is described in terms of salvation. Jesus didn't just come to the house. Salvation came to the house that day. And that makes sense because as we'll see, salvation and grace are linked. So now that we have that story of Zacchaeus in mind, let's go back to this idea of a definition. Because now you can picture it. There's skin and bones on this definition. And I'm going to take us to a definition of grace by Millard Erickson who writes, God deals with his people not on the basis of their merit or worthiness, what they deserve, but simply according to their need. In other words, he deals with them on the basis of his goodness and generosity. Can you picture Zacchaeus? And now let me ask you, can you picture yourself? Let me reread it. God deals with you, not on the basis of your merit or worthiness, what you deserve, but simply according to your need. In other words, he deals with you on the basis of, Of his goodness and generosity. That's the grace that is conveyed and explained all across the Bible. And I have found that sometimes you can run into kind of this false dualism that's portrayed. Like there's a God of the Old Testament. Have you heard this before? There's a God of the Old Testament who's all about laws and rules and wrath and judgment. And then there's the God of the New Testament. We get to the New Testament. It's a God of love and grace. That has no basis biblically. That is not how God is portrayed. Grace is written all over the Old Testament. The Hebrew word there is the word chen. Transliterated. C-H-E-N. Lots of places we could go in the Old Testament to find this word, but I think of Exodus 34.6 where God appears to Moses on Mount Sinai. And as God appears to Moses, He says to him, the Lord, Yahweh, the name of God, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. And then as you're reading in the Old Testament, there's so many stories and examples of grace. It's unbelievable. Noah and his family are delivered from the flood by God's grace. Abraham is called by God out of God's grace. God's grace is what's at work in the life of Moses from top to bottom. It's God's grace that calls the people of Israel, that preserves a remnant. It's God's grace that makes David the king. It's God's grace that ordains the prophets for their ministry. All in all, the word Cain and its verb form appear in the Old Testament 125 times. Grace In every book of the Bible. Now moving to the New Testament, we shift to the Greek word, charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. We get our word charity from this New Testament word. But its actual translation is the word grace. And I thought it's just phenomenal. So many times we see God and the details of our worship life together. Of all Sundays, we could pray over a young lady named Grace it's today. We're praying for grace, and we're praying for grace. More of it, right? It's just like God to do that. And as I said earlier, grace is not a word that appears often in the Gospels because there it's conveyed rather than explained. But one of my favorite references we do find is in John 1.16 where it says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That means there is a continual, inexhaustible supply of God's grace to all who are in Christ. I had the chance to get prayed for at Perkins this week. I was there for a meeting and fellowship with a few other pastors. And after a slice of banana cream pie, we thought, who here could use some prayer? And I got prayed over. And here it is. One of the guys stood up. He puts his hand on my shoulder. He doesn't know what I'm going to be preaching about this Sunday. Here's his prayer. Grace. 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 Three times. That's all he said. But it's this abundance of grace that is in view in Ephesians, our second reading. Let's go there now. Let's pick it up in verse 4. And note, you remember those four dimensions we talked about? I mean, you're going to see these keywords popping up, right? But because of His great love for us, that's related to grace, God who is rich in mercy, that's related to grace, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What did Jesus declare to Zacchaeus again at the end of the passage? He said, Salvation has come to this house. And how did it get there? By grace. This is the gospel. One of the questions that I ask our high school students in preparing for confirmation, which is just a big fancy word of saying the discipleship of young people, one of the questions that I ask them is, What is the gospel? Can you state it in your own words? What is the good news that Jesus came to bring? And Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 is right on the money. We must understand this if we profess to know and follow Christ. Otherwise, I don't know who we know or what we're following. In summary, a student can pick their own words. It's got to be something like this. I was dead and hopeless, but God gave me new life in Christ. Because of his love. If we remind ourselves, who wrote Ephesians? You know, grace is explained, but it's also conveyed, isn't it? And who wrote Ephesians? From prison, by the way. It is the Apostle Paul. And it's the Apostle Paul who uses the word charis, that New Testament word for grace, more than anybody else in the New Testament. In fact, he begins and ends every single one of his letters with reference to grace. Grace. You think he knew something about grace? The Apostle Paul, you remember his story? How he had personally hunted down followers of Jesus from city to city. Men, women, children. He went after them. He zealously persecuted the church. Holding the coats of the mob who publicly executed Stephen. He was not looking for grace in any way in his life. But guess who is looking for him? The God of grace. That's why Paul can say to the Corinthians, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, what does he say? I am what I am. And this grace to me was not without effect. And later, Paul can write to his young colleague, Timothy, and he says, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Now I know, just because we do life together, that some of you have a story very much like Paul's. Some of you have a past that you still wrestle with. Some of you maybe grew up in homes where your performance was everything. I went to my son's football parent meeting this week up in Zimmerman. And what was it about? I mean, they're great virtues. I'm excited about his football coaches, but attitude and effort. Some of you are still trying to prove yourselves out there on the playing field. Some of you, I know, are still trying to make up for past mistakes, Some of you are still wondering if you are good enough for God, and I want you to take it from Paul, if not from me, that you cannot do that. The grace way is the only way. Let's go to the next part of Ephesians. In verse 6, we pick it up. It's just so good. This passage, I just wanted to reread it. It's just that good. So verse 6, quickly. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that, here's why, in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of His what? Of His grace. This is what it's all about. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know why Zacchaeus could give away his fortune? Because that day he had found the incomparable riches of God's grace. And what is wealth when you have the Lord? His wallet became ten times lighter that day because his heart had found the treasure trove of grace. Let's finish the passage. The last couple of verses, 8 and 9. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved. He's just said that a few verses earlier. He's got to repeat it. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And this was one of the great discoveries of the Reformation as they rediscovered the Bible and they actually started to read it for themselves. Sola gratia was the Latin word they came up with, the Latin phrase. Grace alone. And I want to acknowledge this can be very difficult to believe, can it? That all it is is grace. You know, we figure, we do these human calculations that there must be something that I have to contribute in this dynamic. Even if it's mostly God, maybe I'll concede that it can't all be God. And we think of grace maybe like your kid's going to learn to ride a bike, you know, you, a shove in the right direction. But then you got to pedal. You got to pedal and pedal and keep this thing on track. But there is no such thing as a mix of God's grace and my effort. That is a false gospel, Paul wrote to the Galatians. But it can be very hard for us to accept this. While the Bible is so clear about it that not just our salvation, but in fact, Our believing faith is a gift of God's grace. I remember in the early days of having my license, trying to learn to back up the boat trailer or the camper or whatever it was. And my dad would be out there coaching me. You know, the windows are down. And he's coaching me and he's saying, Bjorn, it's just like backing up a manure spreader. And I was so frustrated in that moment, you know, just thinking, Dad, I've never driven a manure spreader. I didn't grow up on a farm like you did. But you think about what it's like to try to back up a vehicle to a trailer. And nowadays, these fancy cameras, it's not near as hard as it once was. But you remember what that's like to back up the vehicle to get it hitched onto a trailer. And I want you to think about that dynamic, about how this works. Do the two of these things come toward each other? Do they meet halfway? Do you get as close as you can with the vehicle and all of a sudden the trailer just jumps up on the hitch and takes care of the rest? No. It's all on the vehicle. In this picture, you and I are the trailer. And we just receive it. John Stott, Englishman, wonderful Bible commentator, says, We shall not be able to strut around heaven like peacocks. That reminded me of, have you been to Munsinger Garden in St. Cloud? They have these peacocks there. And he says, we're not going to be able to strut around heaven like peacocks. Heaven will be filled with the exploits of Christ and the praises of God. Some of you have a story much like Paul's. And you know, truth be told, the last thing you would have ever thought would happen in your life is that you would be a committed follower of Christ. And yet, here you are. I am what I am. Grace abounds. Some of you grew up in and around the church. Your story is different. And you have been steeped in this thing, and yet I would never presume that you know what grace means. Because I've found that people can do a lot of religious time without ever knowing the real thing. What is the real thing? The real thing is that you and I are imperfect people living in an imperfect world, and that sin has separated us from God, like the trailer. Way off from the hitch. But God comes to us. All the way to the cross. Yancey, that author, says, Grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. And he has. On the cross, this wooden cross that we set up on a folding table week after week. It was on the cross that Jesus defeated sin, death, and every power of evil forever. So that instead of judgment, condemnation, we're given life and freedom. We're given grace. That night this week that Esther and I were given grace... I go back to that moment and I realize that it was not just keys that were dropped into my hand. It was grace that we were given. They didn't just give us a vehicle to get home. Our friends gave us grace. And here's the amazing thing about grace. Esther and I, driving home, are talking about what is this moment like when we walk through the front door. The amazing thing about grace is when you've tasted it and you've been overwhelmed by it and you've been humbled by it, we're able to walk into our house and give grace to our child. Have you received grace? Do you know the salvation gift of God? Or are you still looking for it like Zacchaeus up in his tree? You might be. It's time to come down. Before you start the month of August, make it today that you come down because the Savior is calling and He wants to come into your life. Shall we bow our heads and pray let's do that grace 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 from your inexhaustible love lord you have supplied it would you help us receive it and would you help us to give it we pray for jesus sake in his name amen. Thanks for listening to the Y-Church podcast. For more information about the Y-Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.